0: Welcome to another episode of Hoopsology. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas.
1: What's up, man? Justin, good to hear your voice again, man. I'm happy to report I am very pleased with what I saw from the Rockets at this Summer League. Gives me like a glint of hope that there might be some excitement for this NBA season, even though I I don't think the Rockets will make the playoffs. I I think Jalen Green has a really good shot at rookie of the year he'll at least be you know in that top three conversation uh knock on wood assuming all goes well but things are good man it's it's good to uh be back on the show it is. we've got a lot of spicy stuff to talk about today but how are you doing good man glad to be back and this on the i guess favorite team
0: notes i think the bulls have been quite busy um, Yeah. I'm always a skeptic, so I'm not getting my hopes up. (laughs) Um, It seems like, you know, with the whole Laurier market and trade, that seems to be it for now. So we'll see. I'll save my thoughts for the Bulls on a later date, but um, at least it's good to see them wheeling and dealing. We'll see how what happens on the court. I have no idea, but um, at least in the offseason, them being aggressive, that's good to see. So.
1: Definitely. Well, it may be that, you know, once we get into April, we're not able to talk about our teams anymore, depending (laughs) on, I think the bulls will be a factor for sure with the moves that they made, but you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Um, We've got a lot to talk about today. Uh, I do want to remind you guys listening that we are a part of the OTG basketball network. If you go to OTG basketball.com, you can check out a lot of great articles, a lot of great podcasts. We are, Also on all forms of social media, Hoopsology Podcast. You can check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, pretty much wherever you're doing social media. We're there. Also, be sure that you guys are subscribed to our YouTube channel, subscribe to our podcast for more great content.
0: Yeah, totally. Please like and subscribe um, on this video. And if you're on your favorite podcasting uh, program or app, please uh, follow us on there as well. So on today's show, man, we're going to break down two, I would say, controversial things. Um, mm-hmm. One is the documentary about the mouse in the palace. And the other, which we have not really discussed, but I think, you know, since it's been we're in the off season, we have some time. We're going to break down this whole Rachel Nichols situation at ESPN. Um, This came down recently that they canceled ESPNs to jump. So we'll be discussing that as well. So. Let's chat about uh, Untold, Mouse in the Palace. So what's interesting about this is that this is basically a Netflix um, documentary series. So each episode will be breaking down, I would say, a controversial moment or figure or event that's happened in sports. So, for instance, episode one was a Mouse of the Palace. Um, Episode, I believe, two was about Christy Martin. Um, You have – what's – i'm blanking on her name um was it caitlin jenner i think right um i think i lost you matt um yeah i'm not
1: sure i'm not sure what episode two was on to be Um, honest i think it was on um, on list
0: it was on christy martin that was the boxer, um, and that's something I have not seen the episode, but I heard good things about it, and I think Caitlyn Jenner was in the promo package for all the rest of the episodes, so, um, so this Mouse in the Palace is part of a um documentary series so it's kind of like 30 for 30 but just more controversial
1: it's kind um, of netflix's competition with 30 for 30 from espn it seems like
0: for sure and this a lot of these documentaries have popped up over the recent years and i think i would like to give credit for the more of the darker genre because i think 30 for 30 has it's more uplifting stories i would say um they delve into darker stuff but a lot of it's more from the positive side of sports um mm-hmm. in terms of this darker genre i would say like vice with the darker side of the ring the wrestling series so they're on the third season of that so now they're doing the darker side of football the darker side of music so that you know they're delving into different um, genres of more like darker stories so i think untold is kind of in that same um space so first episode mouse in the palace directed by floyd russ um, I know Jermaine O'Neal had a lot to do about executive producing this documentary as well. He's been the front man, basically promoting this everywhere. Um, Steven Jackson, Meta World's Peace, are also in this as well. And basically covers probably the darkest moment, arguably in sports history, in terms of a single event that's, that happened um, and, and involving fans and athletes you know, in a confrontation and this happened on November fourteenth, two thousand four. Um, I have a particular story about this. I was hanging out with some friends on a Friday night. It was my birthday, so they're, you know, celebrating my birthday. Come home and I'm uh, watching Sports Center, and all hell's breaking loose uh, <laughs> in Detroit. So I just, my parents were asleep, my brother was asleep, I'm just like captivated, just realizing what the hell's going on in this arena. Um, just, I don't think we need to break down. I think the the documentary description explain things for itself basically it runs through the timeline of the um, course of events that led up to this incident that happened so the documentary split basically two parts I see three parts actually so first part breaks down Jermaine O'Neill Stephen Jackson Reggie Miller in terms of their careers and I think this was great there's some criticism about this but I think it was very unfair I think this was the right way to go Introducing these people as characters, why it meant so much. This season meant much to them and what the stakes were heading into this game with Detroit. So I thought that was great. Part two broke down the incident and part three broke down basically the consequences from that. Um, so just some general thoughts from me and I'll pass it over to you, Matt. Um, I think for a person that viewed this for the first time, I watched it with my girlfriend. Um, I think this was a really good documentary. Really set the characters, set the consequences of what happened, and the conclusion. Um, I have my nitpicks. um, As I found out later on, I think A.M. Hoops, Casey Currie and Ashley broke down this great on his YouTube channel. Um, And I learned this from him, and I forgot about this with Meta World Peace in regards to the fan that threw the cup at him. I believe he made amends with not only the guy that he punched by mistake, but also the guy who started it all. And I wasn't in the documentary. So I think that was a miss. I think another miss, which was surprising to me, <laughs> he, he was involved in like, you know, producing it with Jermaine O'Neill, like his success as a, you know, person. Like, you know, K security has a great video as, you know, Jermaine O'Neill, you know, being a huge success. I mean, he is a multimillionaire with all the businesses he owns. I mean, he's a great success. And I think from the documentary, you would think of him as kind of a failure, but. You take a look at his post-playing career; he's a massive success. So I think I would have liked to see him kind of, him have a happy ending to, to it as well. Because you saw what you know Stephen Jackson and Metta Will Peace, they won their championships. But you know Jermaine O'Neal is doing just fine. So I would like to seeing that. I think another thing to criticize is a lack of the Detroit Pistons perspective. We saw mm-hmm. Ben Wallace. So where's Chauncey Billups? Where's Rip Hamilton? Where's Larry Brown? Just more of a Detroit perspective as to what happened in this brawl would have been nice. Um, Because I think it was basically just an Indiana deal. I understand that. But at the same time, it involved two teams. This incident was in Detroit. So, I mean, this is not an Indiana Pacers documentary. It kind of felt that way. And the promotion on this documentary made it seem like you're going to see it from different perspectives. So that was my main kind of gripes with it. But overall, I enjoyed it. What did you think, Matt?
1: Yeah, I mean, first I'll say I, I really enjoyed it. It was compelling. Um, I would echo many of the things that you said. Um, I think the documentary did a great job. You mentioned the three parts that it kind of goes in. and One of the things that was kind of cool about it in the transitions, there was this really suspenseful, kind of ominous, eerie soundtrack in the background. It really did a good job of building suspense up to the moment that you have this terrible brawl that breaks out basically in the the whole arena. Um, so, you know, kudos to them for, for building that narrative and kind of showing a a lot of background to it. I also was surprised by how much I had forgotten about this era in basketball. I mean, this was a time where I was really watching a, a lot of basketball And I I had forgotten that this is basically the season that ended Reggie Miller's career. Mm -hmm. Um, I have just for whatever reason, I I think part of that was that, you know, he was injured and in a suit on that night that the fight broke out. It, It just didn't register to me that that was Reggie Miller's last moment in the NBA. I thought maybe it was the season before that or so, but obviously knew right away that I was wrong when he was in the documentary and, and talking about these, these things with this team, I, I will say, I agree with you. I would have liked to see more Pistons staff uh, and Pistons players, but I was pretty surprised when I saw that there were Pistons fans in the documentary and that they were both invited to participate and that they agreed to participate.
0: I such know? a scumbag in there. <laughs> the, the, uh, the guy that got punched by Jermaine O'Neill. He's still a piece of garbage now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't really think any any of those fans came off looking good. No, um, no. And also, I mean, the guy who incited everything, uh, John Green, mm-hmm. didn't. You know, there there was nothing redemptive uh, for for those fans. Um, I kind of felt like, you know, it's it's hard to ignore that Jermaine O'Neal produced this. And it did feel kind of like um, a what-if documentary, like how how great of a center would Jermaine O'Neal had been had this not all fallen apart. You know, they they kept alluding to the Pacers being the clear favorites to win the title this season. And while it's true that they were at the top of the East at the time of this game, I'm not sure that I buy that. As, as we know, you know, a lot of your success depends on matchups in the playoffs, And there, there's just so much that could happen that could go wrong, even if, if this never takes place that I don't know that you can really say that certainly they were a a favorite though. They were, they were a factor that that can't be denied. Um, but it's, it's also, you get this sense and obviously it's because they're interviewing these players and things, but you get the sense that, oh, these punishments were way too harsh for these players. And that's something that I, I don't know that I agree with. Like I, I don't think I I think they're they had an interesting perspective, you know, talking about like the media referring to these guys as thugs and things like that. Obviously, there are things there that I don't agree with from the media media's perspective on it. But in terms of the suspensions being handed out, I I really found myself like. Not having a huge problem with those suspensions, but, you know, maybe, maybe I'm, uh, <laughs> maybe that's a hot take in 2021. I don't know. Um, but when you have, you know, players going in the stands and like this idea of you got to protect the brand, I do think at the time in that moment, you know, it's, it's an unprecedented punishment for sure. But that's also because like you said, in the beginning, this, this was an unprecedented event that happened and you want to assure the security and safety, not only of the fans, but of course of the players too, because that, that could have also ended much worsely for these players as well. You know, being that there are so many more fans than players that are there, you know, and, and mobs are, are dangerous things. So anyway, I'm going kind of off, off in the weeds here, but I, I'm not sure that I necessarily agree with the conclusion that this documentary came to, I I guess would be my point. What were your thoughts on kind of their perspective on um, the punishments and and kind of reflecting on the after effect of this, this horrible event?
0: Um, I thought the punishments were appropriate. Um, It's one of those things where you can't just lay your hands on fans yeah, I mean, basically what happened was, is that, again, this is my kind of wrestling fandom coming out because I'm used to, you know, I don't know if you remember, like, back in the 90s in the WCW where fans pelted trash in the ring like hardcore. I mean, it's, you know, Scott Hall got hit with a full <laughs> cup of soda. And I remember that, He just that. kept I, yeah. it going. So it's one of those things where the wrestlers never invaded the fan space, but when a fan invaded the wrestler space, that's that's their domain. You're threatening their um, livelihood. So like in this in, let's say in this alternate world where that Pistons fan just he just comes out on the court and he's you know, he has his hands clearly up to fight, I think Jermaine O'Neill should not be suspended. He's defending himself and that's in that scenario. I mean, that's a I think that's somewhat self – or even Ron Artest. I think Ron Artest punched him. That's um, right. So I think definitely Ron Artest should not – in that one encounter, I don't think there should be a punishment. He just, He's defending himself. That fan, he said he got pushed onto the court, which I found hilarious. I laughed that loud. I was like, what? Dude went on there to fight Ron Artest. <laughs> and Ron Artest punched him. He's defending himself. So I think in that aspect, I wouldn't have – punishing the players would be ridiculous. The problem was, is that Ron Artesk escalated the
1: situation well, and he had been in the stands before that. Yeah. Punching fans so, along with Steven Jackson. So like, I, before that other fan even came down. So what I found
0: interesting too, is I put the blame on the refs because what they broke down the confrontation between Artesk and um, Ben Wallace and ultimately, you just eject both guys. Eject both guys. This never happens. So I don't understand why the NBA should have been more cultable in the rest, de escalating that situation. They got off scot free. And I think we never really saw the NBA, I guess, be more aggressive with fan conduct. They blamed the players. And I think that was wrong. I think the players deserve their suspensions, but there was no consequences for the rest and there was no consequences for fan conduct that's a huge problem so i see how it can be portrayed and i understand the feelings of people that this is you know racially motivated and that's and also too from a perspective of the dress code being implemented right after that too so i understand those feelings because you ignored you just attacked it from a player perspective you didn't really address okay a code of conduct hardcore like you came down on the players that, to my knowledge, that wasn't apparent from a fan perspective and certainly wasn't apparent from a referee perspective till way later. Because now, you know, look at the NBA now. I mean, you breathe on the guy, you, <laughs> you yell at him in a high-pitched voice, you're getting ejected both guys. So it's just – it took a long time to happen. And I think in that instance, um, I think they failed at that. Um, to your second point, Matt, in terms of kind of – the portrayal of these players um, in terms of their stories. I do agree. That was a flaw in the film. I, I believe with Jermaine O'Neal is one of those things where they highlighted run our test against Steven Jackson winning the title. I believe it kind of like Jermaine O'Neal's failure. Like you have plenty of time, dude, as a player. I mean, it's one of those things where I I, I looked at IMDB and he wasn't Jermaine O'Neal wasn't listed as an executive producer, but it seems sure like it did because, he was propped up as this player that was a never was and that he got robbed of this opportunity, you know, in this one moment and his career was ruined. But the the documentary just highlighted, you know, Ron Artesk and Steven Jackson being able to win titles and have success. And then the documentary just kind of ends as a question mark. It's like, what happened to this guy? You know, like it made him look bad. It kind of made him look look like a bum, which he's not. And it made him look like he never played again. Yeah, <laughs> which I mean, it made him. Not only that, it made him look like he's just you know, he's homeless on the street because of the, you know what I mean. Like there's no like he was able to overcome and become this huge success that you know Casey Kieran highlighted. So I thought that was just a major flaw, even though you know Jermaine O'Neal has been pushing his documentary. Kind of made himself look foolish. So I, this that was just bizarre, just to kind of see the aftermath of that
1: i think that's what tends to happen in documentaries nowadays too yeah uh you know i think about um what what was that netflix um murder one that was all making a murderer you you know where yeah you have this documentary that conveniently leaves out a lot of really important facts of the case um you know this is kind of the thing here like if if you end it by saying, "Oh, Jermaine O'Neal was a this many-time All-Star and played in the NBA," you know, seven seasons after this happened, or whatever that number was, it makes it a little less interesting for the casual viewer. You know, I disagree. I think it makes it more interesting. It makes it feel like this guy. I
0: mean, your your storytelling, right? Like the incident, the shocking footage is the brawl right uh-huh. and you uh-huh. saw the da you saw have it and that, that he was one of the great characters in the documentary i loved hearing from him him going into detail about the charges that you know he placed on the people involved the videotape that they went into how he knew the guy <laughs> that actually started it like he was really compelling so i think hearing the if he got like a more of a happier ending for jermaine O'Neill, i think it would have been just as uh, compelling um, and I think it was just kind of like a question mark. I don't it, it just made it seem inconclusive instead of just at least, I mean, if you're gonna go kind of the sad route, I think just go all the way. Just just be just kind of, I don't know, lean into that a little bit more. And instead it was just kind of like just a question mark. Um, and I think with Reggie Miller, I think that's where at least with him that was like they really leaned into, you know, that was his last chance. And other the mm-hmm. players didn't really take advantage of it. I mean, Reggie had to constantly talk to um, Ron Artesk and Steven Jackson in terms of just getting their heads together, you know, on that team. And him retiring, is just it's a black mark. And I think that's where they leaned on it more. But with Jermaine O'Neal, it just seemed very just, I don't know, disjointed somewhat.
1: Well, and of all the guys interviewed, it seemed like Jermaine O'Neal had the biggest hand in this documentary. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I'm sure if he didn't like the way that it looked, he would have said so uh, and and funded the film. So, I mean, sure. had power to tell his story the way he wanted. And I, I guess that's the way <laughs> he wanted it told. Um, yeah. But overall, I think you know if if I'm going to grade this documentary. I don't think it's it's perfect, but I do think it's it's very compelling. I do think it it gives you a lot of new footage on that terrible incident that happened. It raises or kind of re raises a constant conversation, but the relationship between players and fans, I think it raises a lot of good questions about that. Um, and also is, is interesting the way it explores how this was responded to. So, I mean, I, you know, call, call me, um, you know, maybe the Paula Abdul of, of, uh, grading our, our documentaries here, but I would give it an A. I I think it was very solid. Didn't really leave me, um, frustrated or angry or, or anything like that. I, I felt really, um, happy that I had watched it.
0: Yeah. I feel you. I mean, we're not too different. I'd give it like a B plus. I just think the Jermaine O'Neill's stuff is kind of like the biggest blemish on it. Cause he was just so involved and it leaned so much into him that we didn't really see. You would think you had prop yourself up in your own documentary, but mm-hmm. you didn't. So mm-hmm. it just, I don't know. It was just a weird kind of ending, but overall I really liked it. I think it's a good historical lesson in terms of that period of the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they really did a really good job of addressing kind of the, the racial issues and then also addressing the investigation and then just addressing just that team overall. So overall, I, I thought it was produced pretty well. So I was pretty impressed.
1: Right on, right on. Well, that's high praise. So about, uh, you know, I think on par with the last dance for us in in terms of grades. For sure. yeah. um, Different so- reasons. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. We'll look forward to more from their series. And if if they have more basketball related topics or just something super compelling, you know, we'll, we'll bring it back, um, follow up on it. Did you have any other, uh, topics you wanted to bring up, uh, regarding this documentary? I got, I got one more question for yeah. you. Yeah. Go ahead um, with the question. I don't. So go ahead, man. So here's my question. Yeah. and i i feel this i i think he's likable but but let me ask you your thoughts on this just because i find it interesting okay why is ron artest metal world piece so likable
0: i think because he's authentic Mm. people like people that are real Mm -hmm. i mean look at i mean take a look at the marvel movies take a look at black panther Take a look at Thanos. Did you see when Endgame came out, how many tweets there was about, hey, Thanos has a good point. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> Even though this guy wants to destroy half of the universe. Huh. He's kind of right. Killmonger and Black Panther. Huh. Yes, I don't like what he did, but huh. He's got a good point. People like people that are genuine. I mean, take a look at look at this fight that's happening right now with Jake Paul <laughs> and Tyron Woodley. Like, it's one of those things where... <laughs> there's something that's compelling that is bringing you in. I think with Ron Artesk, he's unabashedly himself. He doesn't, he's not caring about what people think about him. He's just, just himself. He's not putting on any kind of a um, performance or act, even though that gets get over. But I think with Ron Artesk in particular, you can see when you're talking to him, he's genuine. You know, look at when they won the title Um, when he won the title with the Lakers, he never took his jersey off. I mean, he spent 24 hours in the jersey he won the championship in. I mean, that makes him endearing. So um, I think that's what made him so, like, forgiving too, is that he put his feelings out there regarding what happened, his regrets, how he made amends, and how he, you know, moved on to become, you know, a champion. And that makes it very endearing. I think – I don't know how it works in other countries, but at least – I feel like in the United States, it's one of those things where, just as much as people want to destroy you, they can also respect a redemptive story too,
1: mm-hmm. depending mm-hmm.
0: on the situation. So,
1: yeah, I think you nailed it, man. I hundred percent agree. Um, so, if if uh, there's nothing else, should we move on to our last topic here? Yeah. Let's um,
0: discuss this, and this is something that we've been meaning to cover, but you know you know how the NBA is. It's always news going down, but we're kind of in, I don't know, a uh, little bit of a downswing. So this is something that we've been wanting to discuss, and that's this whole ESPN Rachel Nichols drama. So I'm sure you're, if, if you've been following ESPN, you're kind of sick of hearing about this, but at the same time, there is some new relevant news that's break, broken recently.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like now the the book is shut on this. It's kind of of like the final chapter has been written, at at least as far as we know.
0: Of ESPN. So it won't just just I'll give you like a 30-second recap. So basically, Rachel Nicholson, Maria Taylor, you know, both cover the NBA. So Rachel Nichols has had a huge track record of covering the league from ESPN Turner and then back at ESPN. When she went to ESPN, this most recent term, they gave her the show The Jump. And with Maria Taylor, she's been working her way up. And within the past couple of years, she's been garnering more spotlight. So the main beef was with the pandemic and with comments that um, Rachel Nichols made about um, Maria Taylor in regards to her being promoted because she was black. Now, what's not being discussed in the media is that basically ESPN basically screwed both of them. Because mm-hmm. if you take a look at NBA Countdown, which it's weird because I think um, Bill Simmons was discussing this. NBA Countdown is a crappy show, it really is. It's he broke it down perfectly. You I mean you have two minutes to really say your point. You got other people up there. There's no personality. There's no substance. You're just promoting crap and just trying to get to the game. So it's just funny how like the media has made it seem like this NBA Countdown is a major show <laughs> when it's actually. Not a big part of ESPN's coverage, and never has been ever since they got the NBA back in the early 2000s. So, what happened basically is that if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, Matt is they basically promised them both at one point the hosting gig for the NBA Finals, and they basically gave that spot to Maria Taylor when it was promised to Rachel Nichols, and that's where the beef fell apart. And this audio was made you know, public within ESPN circles, and then elites. So there's all kinds of different problems. I'm sure you've heard about this in the national news in terms of, you know, recording somebody without their knowledge, leaking it. There's all kinds of different issues. So the the basic news is that once the NBA finals concluded, Maria Taylor left ESPN. She's now at NBC Sports. She covered the Olympics, so she's gone. And now ESPN made the move to get rid of the jump, and I believe with Rachel Nichols' contract, she still has some time on there, so they're going to let it run out. I think so, she's got about
1: a year and a half got left a year. on her contract.
0: So we're going to see what's going to happen with her in terms of she just gets to have a year-long vacation, let her out of her contract, or she does some coverage with ESPN. We just don't know. Um, I'll just give my thoughts on the situation. Um, I think Rachel Nichols' comments was terrible. I think it makes her a phony on TV almost just because you know on television she's being portrayed as very much – for these social justice causes, and then we know what you really think behind closed doors. But honestly, should have blamed the ESPN. I mean, they both ESPN screwed them both. If you just keep just keeping it real, so I was disappointed in her comments. I think Rachel Nichols is a great reporter. I disagree with the because a lot of people were kind of bashing her name on Twitter. I think that was terrible. She's a fantastic reporter. She's credentialed. She knows what she's talking about in terms of the NBA. I disagree with Bill Simmons, even with him talking about Rachel Nichols you know, having congratulatory monologues. I think it was great with her having a voice, a female perspective on NBA issues. I think that's something we don't ever hear on television, so her perspective is welcome. I just was disappointed in her comments, and I think she lost credibility with me in terms of what we see on TV compared to what you're saying behind closed doors, so that bummed me out, but at the same time – criticizing her as a journalist, making it seem like she just got there because I think she's related to Diane Sawyer. She's like her granddaughter or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So that's ridiculous. Rachel Nichols is a great reporter. So I thought that was pretty tasteless for people online just to totally bash her name as a reporter, all the work she's put in. So I thought that was bad. And pitting them against each other too, I thought that was terrible also. So the blame goes on ESPN. They have screwed up the NBA ever since they've gotten it. If you go back to... You know, Will Bond to Stephen A. Smith to Bill Simmons. They've done a pretty terrible job in terms of their coverage, even the jump. I mean, I'll be honest. Scottie Pippen sucks as an analyst. Tracy McGrady sucks as an analyst. Kendrick Perkins, he has a personality, so I think he's compelling at some points. And Richard Jefferson it's mediocre. And I'm biased, I think. Jalen Rose is the best analyst they got on there because he keeps it real, even if you disagree with him. So I think that's why Kendrick Perkins is connected because at least agree, disagree, at least he's himself, where the other guys weren't really articulate. They're boring to listen to. And I think that show didn't really do, I think, Rachel any favors because I felt like she was trying to carry it because <laughs> her, I think, her co hosts were pretty bad, except when they got like actual journalists on. So Jackie McMullen, Woj. Jorge, Trodano, like somebody. Zach Lowe. Yeah, Zach Lowe. People in the know. um, I'm blanking out her name. um, It'll come to me. But another female reporter. She also covered Ronda Rousey's fight career too. But uh, Ramona Shelburne, there we go. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, So I think when the analysts were on there, they were great. But the players, they sucked. And I think with her monologues, that was kind of like the main part of the show that made it watchable. I mean, if she wasn't there, the show would be – this would fall apart. So overall, the situation sucks. They're probably going to lose Rachel Nichols. She'll be on Turner, and she'll be on Inside the NBA. <laughs> Personally, I think she'll probably get her own show on CNN or on TNT. I just I don't see her at Fox Sports. I don't see her on M- on NBC, obviously with the Maria Taylor deal. So, excuse me. I think the situation is unfortunate. It sucks because you lose two great, you know, female reporters and talent. And I think the situation got just blown out of proportion and almost, you know, and almost overshadowed the NBA Finals. You know, I mean, Adam Silver had a comment on it. And it was on, you know, the nightly news. I mean, we're in a pandemic and that was like the number one story. So um, it, it overall, it just sucked just, just to see that. What are your thoughts on this, Matt?
1: Yeah, that that's a lot. Um, yes. <laughs> this whole situation is a lot. I, I think, number one, I, I think you and I will see eye-to-eye totally on ESPN. I, I think there's a huge lack of leadership right now yeah. at ESPN. And I just think this was so incredibly mismanaged from so many angles throughout the entire last year that this story really spanned because I do remember hearing about these comments from Rachel Nichols in 2020. Oh really? Hmm. Okay. And then they blew up again and picked up steam oddly enough as Maria Taylor's contract was about to expire. So you do wonder, and obviously I, I don't know. So this is speculation. I'll say that right off the bat, but was it someone on Maria Taylor's team who was that employee at ESPN that leaked this to the New York times? Yeah. I don't know. What I will say though, is I, I think the request from Maria Taylor. So this, this happens. Maria Taylor knows about these comments. Um, she's offended by them. She has the right to, to be that, to feel that way. Of course. Um, I think if, if I'm in leadership at ESPN, so, so she makes the request that, okay, well, I'm not going to be on TV with Rachel Nichols anymore. She does. Great. And I I think from management at ESPN, that is a ridiculous request. I I think now not to say that everyone gets along, everyone should hug it out. No. I mean, lots of personalities. There've been stories personalities that you and I grew up with that couldn't stand each other at ESPN. You know, people on SNL that, that can't stand each other. You know, you always hear about these. It's it's a cutthroat, cutthroat business, and this situation is no different. I think if you're ESPN, though, you have to make your best effort to sit these two down and try and hash this out. So that they could be on NBA Countdown together, or Agreed. just just work together to the point where you're not doing it how they did it, which was pre-recorded segments from Rachel Nichols that they would air during Countdown or what have you, yeah, so that they wouldn't Agreed. have to be in the same room together. I just think Agreed. that's untenable yeah. with the amount of money that you're paying both of them on their contracts. I, I think you have to stand up as ESPN and say. You know, you're, you're both elite on-air talents. We need you to be able to work this out and coexist for, for the betterment of us all. For you both as talents, for us as a brand and a, and a product to those that are watching this. I, I think that's what I feel most strongly about. Um, I do feel some sympathy, I will say, for Rachel Nichols in that. I, I mean, I agree with you that there's hypocrisy in the comments that she made. I do feel sympathy that it was in a private conversation and that that got leaked. That wasn't intended for us to hear, uh, but it got out there. And unfortunately, you know, with her being as as vocal about those causes as she was, it does make her look uh, like a huge hypocrite. I do think that there's an interesting argument, you know, where if you're ESPN, if you think Maria Taylor is the more talented broadcaster, as I do, uh, for a show like NBA countdown, you know, you should have the best talent on your show, but then I think there is a point to be made that Rachel Nichols, you know, at, at least as this article on SI said, as, as she says in her own comments, this was in her contract. So yeah. I do wonder if in the next couple months, we will see some sort of legal action, or maybe once her contract is up at ESPN, if we will see some legal action from Rachel Nichols, that Possibly. that was taken away from her. I, I don't know. You know, this is all, of course, speculation. It is interesting to me as well that um, the person that she was talking to in that private phone conversation, this is something that's also, I think, not talked about a lot, which is why I'm bringing it up. I think it's interesting. Yeah, it is. This was a PR person for LeBron James. We know LeBron James has a lot of power in the league. We, we know that he's hugely influential. He probably has a lot of say at ESPN since they're tied with the NBA and he's been the face of the NBA for a long, long time. Um, the fact that the PR... So when Rachel Nichols is done basically complaining about or venting that her spot has been taken away on NBA Countdown, his response is, I don't know. And sorry, this is not a direct quote, but this is paraphrasing, but he, they do laugh about these specific things I'm about to say. He says, um, I don't know between BLM and me too. I'm completely worn out right now. And then they both kind of chuckle about it, which again shows the hypocrisy
0: (laughs) uh,
1: of, of Rachel Nichols. But also you wonder, I mean, this is an associate of LeBron James and LeBron has been, like all about these causes in in the public eye. So I I just find that kind of interesting that behind closed doors there's there's like laughter going on uh, about this, you know. To me makes me wonder how genuine it is, but of course that's that's pure speculation and, sure. and you can't really say. Um I I just find it interesting and I I will be really curious to see you know Nichols with the credentials that that she does have, she's been at ESPN. I mean, since you and I were growing up watching Sports Center, yeah. I do wonder where she will land next, or if this is you know a, a black mark on her resume and and she's not. You, you know, maybe she has like her own podcast or something she has to do independently after this, uh, after her contract is up at ESPN. So those are my kind of thoughts. I I know we both went on uh, off on long tangents there, but, um, I have any, any thoughts on anything else?
0: No, we're on the same page. I think your first point,
1: you're exactly right.
0: I don't understand why you could have sat them down. They both do the same thing. They're host. I mean, I mean, Rachel does silent reporting, so she's not an analyst. So if she was like Ramona Shelburne, I think that'd be a bigger issue. You have to work with her, right, in terms of being on the same panel. But, you know, if Rachel's on the – because she was, Rachel was supposed to do the silent reporting for the NBA finals that took her off. So all Maria Taylor's doing is just, hey, Rachel, you know, what's Giannis eating for dinner or something? I don't know. Like, you're just, <laughs> you're just passing – just, it's just literally like a five-second conversation, and it's over. So I think for both of them, I think it's just extremely unprofessional just to be at least just settle it. You don't like each other, so be it. Toss to the package. Toss it down to her. She tosses it back to you, and it's done. Because sometimes, you know, you hear Jalen on the halftime. Jalen Rose will just say, hey, we're going to break or whatever. You just have Jalen just pass it to Maria. Like, that's not... That's not uncommon. So there's ways to work around it. So I don't know. I just – ESPN has had a lot of issues. I mean, we'll be here all night discussing them. So <laughs> I'm not surprised they botched this. Um, I think to your second point with LeBron James' PR, it does reflect badly on him. I get, I think it's one of those things I work in PR where it's – I don't think LeBron is necessarily too involved with, and how I say this, I think LeBron's motives are genuine, just based on his Twitter account, just based on what he's doing. At the same time, this looks this reflects badly on him as well, and he got off scot free. I will say that. Um, I think he got a pass. I, I mean, you, know, you take a look at the national news; they weren't talking about LeBron. So I think he got off with just, you know, with not anything happening to him. And this was being a situation with Nichols and, you know, Maria Taylor. And check out the Ben Simmons podcast. I forgot. I want to say James Andrew Miller. I don't – it might be him. I'm not sure. But they just discussed this on his podcast and just, you know, Cam, a mess. I mean, it's just the way they do their show is not conducive to a basketball fan. And honestly, I'd rather have just, in, just put insiders on there, you know, as your countdown crew. That's their strength, not their players. They've always had a rotating cast of players. I mean, I know, you know, this is another issue thing that's come up, you know, Matt Kellerman being removed from first take, you know, Stephen A being, you know, a rotating panel host or him hosting it with Magic Johnson. But I'll be frank, Magic Johnson, he sucks too. Or Michael Irvin. Yeah, it, both of them. I just it's a thing where just because you're a player doesn't make you a great analyst. And I think ESPN has struggled oh, sure. with that. Sure. I mean, take a look at even NFL coverage. I mean, who has the best NFL coverage It's usually Fox CBS. I would say even NBC and ESPN usually last. <laughs> I mean, oh, yeah. they've yeah. always struggled. I mean, look at mother night football. That's a disaster. I mean, they've all, that's always been a rotating just cluster. So, it's, it's one of those things that's weird to think of, you know, ESPN as a worldwide leader. But other really than Sports SportsCenter and, like, the sports they have, I think their commentators are great. But in terms of, like, their in-studio coverage, they are lagging behind in, all, in multiple sports. You know, really, besides College Game Day, I mean, other than that, you know, they have struggled. So, I mean, that's just, just a huge multiple flaws. But I think the whole situation is just unfortunate
1: let me ask you this um you know you and i spent some time on twitter because we got to keep up with nba stuff do you think outside of twitter this story is really even that big a deal
0: (laughs) um i don't i think casual fans could care less i don't even think casual fans know who these people are to be honest yeah Yeah. Um, that's why it shocked me it was on the national news (laughs) i was like what is happening here um Like it was like the first thing that you know, and what Nancy O'Dell was talking about leading off the news. I was like, "Holy crap!" Like that was just shocking to me, and I don't think it it warranted a massive story, to be honest. Uh, Yeah, outside of our circles, I don't think people give a crap, to be honest.
1: So it's it's kind of like it, you know, it started as a fire in a wastebasket that ESPN could have put out totally. and, uh, there seems that, you know, there, there may have been an effort to get these two together to talk, uh, Maybe. that we don't know about, but, uh, it just really seems like, uh, this was mishandled. And then, you know, it's typically a sign of bad management when things are leaking this much, uh, like whoever it was that leaked this story to, uh, the New York times, you know, just just doesn't speak well for ESPN as an organization. So um, I I think that's kind of the at-large takeaway from this. And then it's just astounding in a way that it leads to them losing one of their best broadcaster talents in Maria Taylor, who's an up-and-comer, is going to do great, I I would think, at NBC. Uh, And then also losing someone who up until then, I I would say had been pretty loyal to ESPN. Uh, I think, you know, probably the reason they lose her or are likely not going to renew her contract is that she kind of stepped on the brand in these comments that leak, talking about their diversity record and all that. You see that as ESPN management. I'm guessing that jumped out to them and maybe they saw that as the big issue when really maybe they should have, Uh, been a little more introspective about it, and hopefully their leadership will get better down the road uh, because, you know, I think you and I and any sports fan really kind of roots for ESPN just because they house so much content. So it's just kind of silly that uh, something like this was mismanaged. (laughs) Well, let's just be honest. The the
0: bottom line is that ESPN is in power because of the content that they have. For sure, and so it doesn't matter. You can have, you know, anybody hosting the shows. The, the hosts is are irrelevant. Really, first take is like it gets made a big deal out of. Everybody gets their arms messed up or whatever. They get freaked out when Stephen A. says something. But first take is like five percent of their business. The, mm. the it's it's content. It's the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball. They have NHL. They have the UFC, and until you know, Turner or NBC or Fox until they win the bidding wars, all this stuff about personnel is kind of its irrelevant, really. Yes, yeah. yeah. They, they make up such a small part of the sporting landscape. Now, if we're talking about the sports media, I think you saw with Fox Sports. I mean, they made a big run with FS1. I don't know if you remember. They're going to mm-hmm. be word to word the sports center killer. We're going to have all these people. They fail miserably. I think it's a lot harder... Because you don't have those sports rights. And also, you just don't have a vision of somebody to really put that all together. Really, everybody's doing their own thing. Like Colin Cowherd has his own podcasting company. Um, What's his name? Dan Levitard has his own company. Jamel Hill has her own stuff. Everybody's splintered in different stuff that they're doing. And you don't have them all cohesively teaming up at ESPN. So it doesn't really matter who they have there. As long as they're competent and they're not cursing on air, they're not doing anything offensive. It doesn't really matter who they have hosting up there, as long as the presentation is remaining. I mean, they're making tons of money. So it's, it's almost like a new point. And then into your into your analysis, Matt, it kind of it just makes it shocking why this turned out to be a massive <laughs> new story. Because to your casual fan, you want to sit on a couch and just watch the game. I mean, mm-hmm. you
1: don't Yeah. I mean, I think. It's kind of a fair comparison to say ESPN is like the sports media SNL. Like you kind of, you know, like Will Ferrell gets his start on SNL. He blows up. He makes way more off of the movies that he's done and and the movie career he's branched out to have. You kind of wonder if from now on, you know, ESPN, we know they've been cutting costs for a while and they didn't they didn't extend Maria Taylor. They let her go probably because they didn't want to pay what she was asking for. So you kind of wonder if now ESPN is sort of like that, like they're going to develop some talent and personalities. You get your start here, but then we're not going to extend you and pay you this big salary. Like Stephen A may be sort of a, a dying brand at ESPN or, or a dying um, career type at ESPN. This this giant personality, you know, I think he makes... Um, 9 million, maybe it's 12 million a year or something at ESPN. He's, you know, their highest paid personality. Um, So I I think that may become less and less the case. Like maybe you, you build up a little bit of an audience on ESPN as a sports media talent, and then you go do your thing independently. Like a lot of these people who were there during sort of the golden age of ESPN have gone on to do.
0: I think you're right. And also I think it just shows how narrow
1: minded they are too, because
0: In actuality, the ringer should be under ESPN's umbrella. Like Bill Simmons should be like a higher up there. And the fact that they fired him and now he's able to form this other company, I think just speaks to just the, uh, I, I don't know, just how dysfunctional they are in terms of how they manage their talent. Because, I mean, you take a look at Dan Patrick, Rich Eisen. These are people that they should be standard bearers of your company and just letting them go and them doing their own thing. I think it's, it pokes holes in your company. And I think Mm -hmm. it shows that they're focused much more on content rather than building the brands of their programming. I think that's secondary to making sure that they have college football, college basketball, like it's content. It's their brand, their sports deals with these leagues first their um programming second, a distant second Mm -hmm. even though you take a look at a lot of their brands i think they've had tons of potential but that's secondary to the games that they cover Mm -hmm. i don't think that's going to change until they lose some of these sports so if the nba rights are up and they lose all of it to nbc you might see them change their tune but they're making so much money and their ratings are pretty solid. The balance of power is going to remain in their favor.
1: Yeah. And that's why, to your point, I I think it was maybe the biggest misstep for them to let Bill Simmons go, because yeah. it seemed like he was, uh, I, I don't want to give Bill Simmons more credit than he deserves. I think a lot of people know how capable he is, um, et cetera, but it does seem like he was, a piece of the creative vision of ESPN in terms of bringing in new projects. You know, we, we know he had a heavy hand in the 30 for 30 series uh, that blew up. So losing him um, I, I think was, maybe the straw that started to to break the camel's back, so to speak, because a lot of people since his time there have have also left. Yeah, Um, I I think, you know, it's it's a case-by-case thing. Like if Dan Patrick wants to go start his own show and, and potentially make more money, I do think there are certain asks from these talents where you as a business have to say, no, 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 we're not paying for that. You know, we appreciate it have a good one, you know, uh, because you're paying so much for all these contracts, which different ESPN way back when sure. uh, Dan Patrick left. So it might is. be a bad example, but, um, but my point is there, there definitely has to be a line in, in what they can do, what they can afford. Uh, but it seems like something like this, especially where you've had Rachel Nichols, who's been with the company for, I would guess almost 20 years, if, if not at 20 years yeah. total, she had a brief stint with Turner, um, between times there, but, uh, you know, just, uh, just seems like she's someone who they should have easily been able to keep on. Uh, and I think the jump, you know, while it's, I think it's easy to criticize elements of the show. I think it was pretty stable and, Decent NBA content for them to put out. They have a certain amount of time they have to air NBA specific content with their contract in the league. I think that was an easy way to do it. Hopefully they come up with something better for us NBA fans uh, moving forward. Well, I will say it, the concept of the show,
0: I think, I liked a lot compared to like NFL Live, which is just kind of like highlights and this boring analysis. At mm-hmm. least with the jump, they tried to make it a little bit more fun. But the problem is they didn't have the talent to pull that off. Mm-hmm. Besides, I mean, there's nothing to be Rachel's equal on that show because everybody else was just guest analyst or they're former athletes that, you know, for the most part they were pretty terrible at their job so um i think the show was pretty well produced and i think rachel carried it but i think if she's not the host i know malika andrews was hosting it and she's been doing a really awesome job with this being a silent reporter and it's her analysis and her reporting um but i think it's time you're right maybe for the show to go and just do something new Honestly, yeah, well the
1: show's going. They yeah, they've already
0: it. said as much. Yeah. I think on it, I'm biased. I think they should just replace it with Jalen Jacoby, turn Jalen Jacoby into a pure NBA show to keep it and let them run it. And honestly, and just have a keep just maybe just add a little bit more um analyst to it, maybe make it a little bit more serious, but keep kind of the friendlier, kind of cool vibe to it. I think that would be way different than anything else that's on TV. As an mm-hmm. NBA show and mm-hmm. it fits the tone of the league compared to anything else that you see on TV. It's a direct contrast. You're not copying TNT. You're doing your own thing. I think that'd be the right way to go. But I don't think that's That's probably too extreme for ESPN at this
1: point. So. yeah, I I think you're right. I, I think that would be a good alternative. You know, we'll we'll see what they do. Yeah. Uh they gotta do something with all the analysts that they have on contract right now. So you'd imagine yeah, bunch. <laughs> they just get a different, um, different figurehead for this new show yeah. and probably run this back. You know, they haven't been all that creative with NBA countdown. So I, I can't envision them at least right now, being all that creative with a jump replacement. No. It was probably going to be, uh, you bring up nfl live it's probably going to be like that probably but an nba oh, version which yeah um, be yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but we'll uh, see we'll see maybe they'll uh surprise us. I, i'm just saying i'm not uh i'm not overly optimistic about it
0: <laughs> me either
1: um i think that's it for me man Should we have any other thoughts on the situation? No, no, I think uh, on a bright note to end things since these have been some uh, some strange topics in, in a way or, or some darker topics uh, just wanted to mention that um, thank you for all your work, Justin. We have some great interviews lined up so uh, I, I was out of town. Uh, a little while ago on some vacation, but we're going to be ramping up the content in the coming weeks. So I know it's been the off season and you guys have maybe been looking for some basketball content. You definitely will find it with us. Um, So I am really looking forward to sharing all that with you guys. And as always uh, thank you, Justin, and thank you guys for listening to and supporting the show. Appreciate it, Matt. And
0: Check out our previous interviews. We have authors. We have um, Alicia Gray, Olympic gold medalist. We have a lot of great content that's um, evergreen. So basically that it just you know always stays in style. So please go check that out in our archives. Um, leave us a like and leave us a review on iTunes and our YouTube page as well. Email us at hoopsologypod at gmail.com. Um, check us out at Off the Glass um, Basketball Network. They do great stuff. So check out them on twitter and other social media platforms they do just really great content so please go check that out so for matt i am justin on this stay tuned as as he said we're going to have lots of great interviews coming up so stay tuned we'll check later peace